Greetings and welcome to Wait Stories. In this episode, we talk to Emma about misrepresentation of eating disorders and disordered eating, problematic world structures that enforce a toxic way of life, fat phobia, positive social media accounts, food labels, the false promise of diet culture, and Truly life-inspiring tips on body positivity, recovery, and how to get support. A gentle warning. This podcast discusses issues with weight that some listeners may find difficult. This podcast aims to bring connection and share stories, but is not therapy and is not a replacement for therapy. If you feel impacted by any of the issues discussed, we recommend reaching out for help from trained professionals. Please see support resources and links on the Weight Stories page at herproductions.co.uk, including support links from the Great Seed Eating Disorders Support Service and the Be Real National Campaign. Thank you so much for listening and joining us as we seek to build a safe space. We hope you enjoy. So thank you for being here. Uh, Really appreciate it. And um, if you don't mind, if you could just tell us your story uh, and your experience around weight and body size. So um, I have a pretty complex mental health history, which I think is true for a lot of people, we're very easily drawn into this idea of putting people in boxes and labels. But um, the truth is that our mental health journeys are often long and complicated and going back over years. Um, so I tend to say that like my my problems when it came to weight started when I was about nine or 10. Um, but in reality, I think we're all kind of forming into the people that we're going to be and and things are affecting us and things are coming up throughout our childhood which are then going to impact that um, as we grow and change Um, but I started exhibiting uh, symptoms of kind of anxiety and OCD when I was about nine years old I wasn't actually diagnosed with OCD until I was about 27 so that's actually a really, it was a really long time to go without a diagnosis. Um, so it was, I was going through these things, but not having a language in which to frame them, especially if, so I'm 32 now. And um, when I was at school, there was no conversation about mental health whatsoever. There was no conversation about weight or that sort of thing Um And there was a real stigma around eating disorders as something that was like something that the naughty supermodels did, you know, like very Kate Moss, heroin chic kind of thing. Um, And it was just there were lots of these labels around anorexia and things like that, which were just very shameful. So it was it was something that selfish people did, something that vain people did something that people who were obsessed with their bodies did that was kind of the language around eating disorders um so that was the space that I was growing up in but my experience of an eating disorder in a way had so little to do with my body you know I started restricting my eating and and cutting back food and controlling my food intake when I was nine or ten like from the age of nine or ten onwards and at that point in my life, I was body conscious, but it, it wasn't, that wasn't my primary motivation behind eating disorders. And I actually don't know that many people who at their deepest level can say that their primary motivation behind their eating disorder is to get thin. Yeah. It's so often to control and, and make sense of the world that is spinning out of control. Um, so I, I was pretty poorly I had I was anorexic when I was about that age I wasn't diagnosed um really at all um I had a lot to do with my family background as well like coming from a family that wasn't necessarily very open about mental health and things like that um so throughout my teenage years a lot of kind of my 
my diagnosis of my was a, of myself and from friends and things like that. Um, and I know a lot of other people of my age who had that similar thing is that I would, I would run into people when I was about 17 or 18 who had a very similar attitude towards food and we wouldn't recognize each other. We would know that we both had eating disorders, but no one had ever sat in a doctor's office and told us you have anorexia or you have an eating disorder. Um, I think I, it's my opinion that that's maybe more common in the States because uh, I have a friend who's Canadian and her experience is massively different. Um, but yeah, so in terms of treatment, a lot of the treatment that I experienced came through my own research and my own kind of understanding of how to start behaving normally. So when I was between the ages of 10 and 13, it was very out of control, very, very limited. And then in a way I, I thought I was kind of controlling it, but really I was just making it less obvious to the outside world. Mm. Um, and that carried on well into my twenties. And I don't think it was until I was in my twenties until I was getting other uh, mental health help that like I started to really understand, you know, what was going on and how I might be able to live more body positive um, and what that might look like. Um, but I always say that I'm in recovery mm. is what I say. I, I kind of feel that it's a little bit like uh, drug addiction or, or alcohol addiction. I don't think it's, I don't think an eating disorder is something that a person uh, ever gets away from completely. Um, I think it's something that a person is either in recovery from or, or suffering from. Um, yeah. 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 Oh, thank you so much. That's, yeah. I mean, really enlightening in so many ways. And that's something that I really find interesting as well is how different approaches yeah, in different countries even that we've, we've got. Body positivity is something that we really want to promote, hopefully, with this uh, series. It's, it's um, I don't know, like, for, for people listening, if there's anyone that's obviously listened to your story and they're like, you know, I can relate. This is going through what you've gone through because you've gone and you, you, you are in, like you say, what you call recovery, and which will be really inspiring for people listening. Is there any tips you could give to people who maybe aren't there yet that are listening and they might recognise their own behavior and I don't know to, to get that help is there I mean how did you get that help I think there comes a point where you you do eventually realize that it's not about the food and it's not about the body it's about how you feel about the food and what the food is going to do for you and how you feel about your body and what your body is doing for you um something that helped me understand my eating disorder was understanding how I was made to feel about my body at the time when it started so when I started struggling with my eating I was about nine or ten years old I was on the edge of puberty it was 2001 you know for those who who remember 2001 and what it was like to be uh, a young girl in 2001 and what society was promoting in terms of women and feminism at that time was was quite a confusing place um from what I remember so it's kind of what we might call like Pamela Anderson feminism and you know page three model feminism and that kind of thing so the rhetoric I remember being that age was that there were lots of women who were who were showing their bodies and saying that it was empowering but where from where I was as a 10 or 11 year old it didn't feel empowering because it meant the way it related to me was it meant that builders would whistle at you as you walk past in your school uniform it meant that bus drivers might get gropey you know what I remember being in like year seven and there being the story of that bus driver, you know, that bus driver that you never wanted to be the, the only child on the bus with that bus driver. Um, and those kind of stories weren't told in a, um, like, oh my goodness, this person is so dreadful way. They were told in like, oh, 
old pervy men, what we have to put up with, you know, oh my goodness, we're so, we're so gorgeous and we're living our lives, but you know, this is just what we have to deal with, but we're independent women and we can deal with this. And, but the thing is, it doesn't make you feel like that when your RE teacher is trying to put their hand up your skirt or something like that. And for a long time, I hadn't realized how much that had an impact on me as a child, realizing that I was growing into a woman's body. Mm, Yeah. And if you are a child and you know that, and like I, I noticed that if you put on weight, if your body started to change, if you carried more weight in your breasts or carried more weight in, in your bum, people would comment. People would start saying, oh, you're growing, you're growing. They would suddenly feel like they could comment on your body in public, even in family settings. You know, you go to a Christmas family thing and people would be like, oh, you've grown looking at your your body and your breasts and how you've changed and gone through puberty they might as well be announcing to the whole room you're a woman now and we can comment on that and I hadn't realized how unsafe that makes a child feel and how unsafe that made me feel as a young person becoming a woman and then surely it isn't a stretch to imagine that a child might go when my body is more womanly, it is less safe for me in the world. People are gonna look at me more. People are gonna say things. But if I am skinnier, if my body retains its childlike features, then I am safer. Especially if like me, a lot of your other friends didn't go through puberty as quickly. You see them in their more childlike bodies. You see, you don't understand that what's happening is sexualization of children. You see them and you think they are safe because they are thin. Yeah. Not that the world is wrong. (laughs) So you want to make yourself safe. You want to make yourself thinner. Um, And that was kind of a big connection for me. I think that was something that was going on on a very deep subconscious level. Um, And it like makes me emotional to think about it because now as an adult who's 32, I look back on it and I go, I was just a child. Like we were just children. We were just children who were navigating 40 year old men who were treating us like adults. And that's terrifying. Especially if you think about it in the child's mind, the child has been at school in a relatively safe environment. Primary schools have great safeguarding, excellent safeguarding. And, you know, but as soon as you go, we moved into secondary school in the space of a summer, suddenly you're a sexualized being, like in the space of three months, what is that gonna do to a child's psyche that suddenly a grown teacher or some, that the school is no longer safe? And that students, older students might comment, you know, and I think all of us can probably remember that there's always one person in your class or in your year who develops so much faster than everybody else. And I think it's really challenging as an adult to think about the narrative that surrounded that person. And how, how they were talked about, especially if they were a girl, how they were sexualized by other people in the class and things like that. That's, you know, it's puberty's it has come up quite a lot in the interviews that we've had because I think me included that is such a time. I think maybe it's the same for men, and it'd be really you know interesting interesting to know as well for men. But uh, speaking as a woman, like it really does is a point where our bodies suddenly become such a. I think it's breasts is the main thing. Like this, these breasts are like suddenly we're all obsessed. Like with oh, what's your friends? Your friends got bigger boobs, or you've got like and asking each other cup sizes, and and it's just. Um, I mean, it's it's a hard, really hard time. But that is devastating to hear about like the bus drivers. That a child, you're you're like underage like doing that to a child is can be so like you say so traumatizing mm-hmm. I mean do, do you mind me asking when you noticed that it became a problem that you wanted to do something about like what age you were when you decided that 
I don't think I made a conscious decision to stop eating in order to be thin. Um, I think I felt overwhelmingly anxious all the time. Mm. And food was, if, if we think about it in a very sort of like feelings way for an 11 year old, I feel anxious. It makes me feel sick. It makes me feel uncomfortable. I don't want to eat anything because I feel sick and I'm uncomfortable because I'm anxious. I can't put that train of thought together, but what I can do is I can go, well, I'm not gonna eat this. I'm only gonna eat the things that make me feel safe and comfortable, but anything else makes me feel scared and worried. And I don't wanna feel scared and worried, so I'm only gonna do this. And I think that's really common in like eating disorder psyche. People, I've come across people in the past who've been quite ignorant about it, um, have an anecdote if you want an anecdote oh I love an anecdote yes please <laughs> um I did a um creative writing uh master's um at a prominent Scottish university oh. I was a terrible Scottish accent I apologize I love it everybody um and I um I was sitting in a in a, a workshop with about six other people and somebody had written a piece of work about their aunt who had an eating disorder and they'd written it from their perspective and it was interesting and I was sitting there as somebody with an eating disorder being like can do this this is fine this is totally fine but the lecturer who was leading the course who is a very prominent Scottish poet um started saying that anorexia sufferers were selfish that being a but an eating disorder was one of the most selfish things that you could do. And that person is essentially trying to sabotage their own body. And as a sufferer, I couldn't, I felt like I couldn't breathe. You know, it was so intense, the pressure of that feeling of being misunderstood, misrepresented, but not being able to say anything about it. It didn't help that he was pretty big sexist so um <laughs> luckily I had a very nice friend in this class who suddenly halfway through in a very polite Canadian voice was just like can we stop now thank you we're gonna take a break everybody we're taking a break and then just sort of decided that we were taking a break and Amazing. took me outside and made sure I was okay but that misrepresentation of eating disorders that it is a decision that you make in order to combat your body is is really harmful because so often it's it's not it's when you're in it it is just about trying to feel better mm. just you're just in the moment and you're just like I just want to feel better I just want to feel less out of control so I'm gonna make myself feel sick I'm gonna make myself sick because I feel so much better when I do that or I'm gonna skip dinner and just have because that's what I want that's what I want most to eat I don't want to eat anything else it just doesn't feel good it doesn't make me feel good inside it doesn't make me feel good in my body and I think that's where a lot of disordered eating in our culture kind of gets brushed under the carpet because people have this assumption about what anorexia and what disordered eating must be like it must be, I hate my body so much. I hate my body so much. I want to starve myself or I want to throw up or I want to exercise until I fall over. When actually disordered eating can be as simple as you, you stop eating breakfast because it makes you feel really sick. It makes you feel rubbish. And even on days when you feel really good, you don't put it back in because there's that sense of control. I control my life. I control my routine. I control my food. I control my exercise. I control my body. Um, yeah, so I don't think there's necessarily always a moment. For some people, there might be. But um, for me, it was very much like, I need to control this world. <laughs> you yeah. know, I'm going to school feeling sexualized. I don't feel safe at school. I don't feel safe in the world. I need to control it. This is how I'm going to control it. This is this is what I can do when I... Yeah. When I restrict my food, I feel safe. And then the side effect of that, from my perspective, was then I'm not getting fatter and I, I feel safe. 
So it was almost like a side effect. Um, And then that kind of builds on itself as it often does in eating disorders. You know, Mm. you, you realize that you're getting a bit thinner and you're like, oh, well, that's, that's not bad. I can control that too. I can control that. I'm in charge. This is, this is my life and my body. Woohoo. Because the world doesn't teach women that they're in control of their lives and their bodies. Yeah. And as long as we keep perpetuating a society that doesn't respect women's bodies, then I don't know how we expect it to be any different. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, that's, that is something that, um, you know, I think we're, we're talking about a lot, but whether things are changing is, is definitely interesting if it's even going I mean with Instagram I don't know if things are changing for the worse really but I mean I'd love just to before going into that really pick up because I think it's you've explained it so beautifully um but I think for me I I mean I was I I had OCD and that's what I was going for my therapy for um and I wonder if if please tell me if I'm wrong like but what you're saying with eating disorder as well like the difference between eating disorder and someone who likes to exercise or someone who's just oh I'm have, I'm, I'm trying to consciously eat healthy but, and that is for a body shape like and all oh, that is to do with their body and hope and that as long as it stays healthy is one thing and it doesn't go obsessive or you know harming yourself in any way but it's like the difference between that and like with me when I was in my worst times of OCD like the difference between that and someone who's just having a day that they're feeling a bit worried about stuff there's it, it, such a difference between that and having a disorder I guess because like for, where you can't you're not functioning properly anymore or you're not you know that you're not in a functioning place is that kind of what yeah you're explaining or I mean, I mean we all have crisis responses to different situations like that's how our bodies are designed so yeah. you know we're when you're stressed, when you're when something terrible happens, your body is releasing chemicals that are going to impact how you live your life, right? So it's going to make you you're you're going to get adrenaline that's going to make you maybe feel nauseous, maybe you know like you're always on edge. That's maybe going to adjust how you eat. That's yeah. normal. That's how that's how our bodies are designed to work. If you have an eating disorder, then your body is doing that all the time and is only feels safe when you do certain behaviors. Um, and I think it's really important, something that I'm learning at the moment in therapy, because still in therapy. Life. Um, great. No, please. And the best thing ever, everyone do it. <laughs> is that eating disorders are symptoms. They are not the whole picture. Um, and it's just so true when you think about it, you're like, oh, of course, like an eating disorder is a manifestation of another, a deep rooted trauma or a deep rooted anxiety or something else that you are trying to control. And you, your brain somewhere in there has decided this is the way to do it. You know, this is the way to be safe. This is how you're going to control the world and make it, make it safer for you to live in. Um, Which I think is why it's so hard to to differentiate between somebody who's having disordered eating and somebody who has an eating disorder because they might be, they are kind of the same thing. You know, they're, they're responses to how we manage the universe. Um, and that's not to say that there aren't eating disorders. Of course there are. Um, but they are so often symptoms of other things, which is why like in treatment for eating disorder, what your bad treatment for eating disorder concentrates on how to get a person eating again right yeah yeah a good treatment of eating disorder tries to uncover why the person isn't eating and manage that and what the urge is there um which is why one of the most unhelpful things that anybody can say to an eating disorder sufferer is well why don't you just eat something you'll feel better Mm -hmm. because all that's doing is just batting the symptom away it's not dealing with the deeper problem um but it is really complex and and the more you like look into eating disorders and diet culture you realize that we as a society have created a society which is just 
the threads of it are just woven with diet culture and traps for people to fall down all over the place. Like, and that's really, really hard because you sort of look at it and you go, oh my goodness, how are we going to get out of this? Like, how how do you exist in this world? Um, And I think that's a really hard question that we're starting to ask now is like, can we remake the world? Can we teach people differently so that when they are becoming adults, they are not falling into these traps which are being laid all over the place um, for for diet culture and eating disorders? And yeah, I think the, the big question always, I think, has to be like, why? Why are you doing this behavior? Like, what is what is the reason behind it? Yeah. Are you doing it because are you exercising because it genuinely gives you joy? It genuinely makes you feel happier in your body and more content. And is that happier happiness really about you, or is it dependent on other people witnessing it and other people seeing it? You know, why mm. why are you doing these things? Because some people go, Yeah, I love to exercise every day, it makes me happy. And you go, but why does it make you happy? Where what is it about it that's making it happy? Is it making you happy because you now feel like you fit in? You now feel you have a body that is appropriate for this society. Yeah. Because fat phobia is a massive thing, you know? Um, Fear of of a different body type. And I follow like a lot of um, people on Instagram, like influencers who are really opening my eyes and opening the eyes of a lot of other people to the truth about fat phobia and how it is not only sexist not only dangerous but it's also implicitly heavily racist and our ideal our societal ideal of a slim body is in implicitly a slim white body And that's problematic on so many levels. And something that we don't necessarily talk about, we just go, I just want to be fit. You know, I just want to be fit and I just want to have abs and I just, I just want to do those things. It's like, do you want those things because society has told you that this is the only body that's appropriate, that's healthy. Yeah. And health is like a huge stone to be (laughs) overturned, really. Oh gosh, yes. Yeah. And, you know, it's just if you if you look on the internet, if you talk to your friends who are plus size or fat, depends how they want to self-define. Like a lot of people are, a lot of people in bigger bodies now prefer to use the term fat um, rather than plus size. But okay, I would good. just ask and see what they're most comfortable and see what language they use. Yeah. Um. Like in in my experience and my weight fluctuation, I have generally preferred to be called plus size rather than fat but that's because of my own internalized phobia about the word fat I think yeah um but a lot of people talk about how their our the medical structures that we have are phobic of fat of fat bodies are phobic of bigger bodies and are racist in that capacity as well um and that's but when you start to unpeel the layers of the society, you sort of go, well, is it any wonder, really, that women all over this country not only have eating disorders, but also struggle with disordered eating? Like, is it any wonder that you swing a cat on any street in this country, you will run into at least women, or like at least five women between the ages of 15 and 75 who will say that they're unhappy with their bodies or that they shouldn't have that extra slice of cake or that they're only eating bad things on a Friday or something like that you know it's yeah. we've moralized food in a way that's so damaging um yeah but we're not looking at food like when I was younger obviously your mind would never even think other than oh, I'm, I'm hungry and I need to eat. And like, we're not looking, it's looking at, I guess, looking at food as, as, as fuel. 
I, I do think it's a punishment thing a lot of the time. It's like, oh, I feel I hate myself so much. So I'm going to eat this because of that. I think um, one of the worst things we've done as a society in terms of diet culture is change food from a substance into firstly a moral thing something that has a morality attached to it but also something that has punishment or reward attached to it Mm, yeah yeah you know the idea of rewarding oneself with sugar or with chocolate or things like that is Mm. is ingrained at an early age um and the impact of that is then that you associate that food automatically with either reward or or with being bad like the idea of bad foods is so toxic because food is just food you know Mm. and um, if food is bad it is because we as a society have either labeled it bad or we have created a food that is not based on natural ingredients and is mainly made up of chemicals which is actually probably not something that as human beings we should really be consuming anyway yeah Um, so it's, it's this complex tangle of what the symbols we attach to food are. Um, yeah. And it is really complicated. Like, why do we feel so bad when you eat five biscuits compared to one? Mm-hmm. You feel yeah. bad because you physically feel sick because you've had too much sugar. Or do you feel bad because there's a voice in the back of your head that goes, that's bad. You've yeah. done something morally wrong. You haven't murdered anyone. You've just <laughs> yeah. eaten five biscuits. I mean, you've not committed a crime, but we talk about it like it's a moral failing. Yeah. Eat food. And I, it's just insane. And that then carries into fat phobia because then when we look at somebody who has a bigger body, we associate that with moral failing which is why so much of the language around obesity is so blaming and negative and unhelpful because you're assent- what we're essentially doing as a society is going, you did a bad thing. That's mm-hmm. why it's like this. You did a bad thing. So you did a bad thing implies you had a choice. You had decisions. You made it happen. When we know that obesity in this country is not hundred percent about what you eat like it's so connected to social and economic background like we know that if you are if you are obese you're like more likely to be living under the poverty line yeah yeah you know and that's so thinness you know thinness and and healthy culture is privilege and often it's white privilege and we don't talk about that at all generally and following people on Instagram and and seeing what they post, it has really opened my eyes to that. And the fact that um, so often it's really easy. Um, Something I think that helped me as well is I've worked a lot in schools, um, spent a lot of time in schools and low income schools. And I used to hear people going, well, it doesn't cost more to eat healthy. It doesn't cost more to eat healthy. It's like, you are technically correct. Yeah, you are vegetables. Yeah, you are technically correct. Vegetables are cheaper, but social and economic control changes how we spend our money. So, if you are in a low social economic household, you are going to have fewer hours in the day in which you have to spend buying food statistically. You are more likely to go to places that sell food cheaper and easier to access. You are also more likely to be working different types of jobs that change the hours in which you can buy food, which alters when shops are open. Waitrose is not open 24-7. You know, things like that. And you are more likely to buy food which you can cook quickly because you know that you might not have time. Um, You know, I've spent, worked with a lot of kids and oftentimes their parents aren't the ones doing the cooking. Their parents are at work. They're the ones doing the cooking for their primary school age brother or sister. What can you cook when you're 13 years old 
and your mum doesn't want you to use the oven when you're alone in the house because she cares about your safety. So what can you cook? You can cook something in the microwave and people go, oh yeah, but you can cook loads of things in the microwave that are vegetables and things like that. It's like, yes, but have we taught children how to do that? Yeah. Have we taught parents how to do that? Have we taught anybody how to do that? Um, So it's so interwoven and connected. And when we talk about eating disorders, we often talk about individuals and their blame and their actions and what I'm learning and what I'm seeing more and more is that actually it's not about me like I'm doing what I can to live in this world but there is a huge overarching problem with the world in which we live in structures are enforcing a way of life which is sexist racist classist and all of that is contributing to disordered eating in this country yeah no tapestry not just one picture absolutely I mean yeah yeah this is the most insightful conversation I am really you know it's making me I I never ever thought about it being you know a racist problem but the way that you described that as well like that's so yeah it's just really enlightening and it's something that I think really just need to talk about and I don't know if there's any way like if you if you want to promote any of the Instagram yeah, people that I would follow because yeah. let's let's follow these people that are talking yeah. about this um well Jamila Jamil runs like a great um account which is about weight and eating disorders and culture called I Way. um which you can find on Instagram um if you look up her on Instagram she promotes it on her own Instagram so that will link through um somebody that I follow is called um the fact sex therapist and she talks a lot about um body and shaming and positivity and what it means to live in a bigger body and the kind of um problems that a person like that can face in the world um I'm now like scrolling through my Instagram yeah, no. <laughs> no, don't worry no, I don't want to put you on this that, that that's great because I'm sure even if people follow them more people will come up on their yeah. Instagram yeah, like that exactly. that's um, a good thing at least with Instagram for once <laughs> yeah a great uh Instagram to follow is called beat beating eating disorders um and that is just amazing um they posted something this morning and I was just like yeah props to that um it's just a message that said I'm sorry if you have binge eat if you have a binge eating disorder and we're told to restrict your food intake count calories eliminate your binge foods forever measure weight these recommendations are harmful and you deserve better support oh just really really on the nose really great um yeah I mean the something that I have found powerful and I would encourage people to do is really think about changing the culture on your social media. Um, Something that has been really powerful for me is that by following more of these accounts, it just changes the way my feed looks completely. So when I wake up in the morning and I'm scrolling, I'm seeing stuff like that. You know, I saw that this morning and this week, I'll be honest, I've not been feeling great in my body. True, truth true facts um you know I I think I probably put on a little weight in this lockdown I've not been doing my regular yoga at my yoga gym and you know I've been missing that I've been missing how that makes my body feel I've been feeling stiffer and slouchier and also I am I do struggle with that sort of fear fear of oh god am I going to be able to fit in my jeans which is stupid because most of the time I wear sweatpants now (laughs) we're all wearing them aren't we like where what are jeans what are jeans but yeah but there's, no. there's such freedom in that too isn't there like there's such body yeah. freedom in that if like uh at christmas I, w- I was at home and i i generally was just wearing um i saw my sister over christmas i was i was really lucky we me and my husband managed to get to my parents house right before uh tier four came in and in, in london which was a real blessing but i was with my sister and she was like i I don't really get your fashion right now because you're really like together on the top and then you're wearing sweatpants on the bottom. And I was like, this is, this is zoom fashion, but I'm just doing it all the time now. So <laughs> yes. 
Zoom fashion. myself from the bondage of uncomfortable trousers. And that's another element of society's attitude towards female bodies mm. is if we create clothes that are uncomfortable for certain top body types, and if we denigrate clothes that are uncomfortable for bigger body types, if we look down on people who wear jean, uh, who wear leggings or stretch fabrics, you know, if we say that's like, that's not fashion, you know, that's fast fashion, that's mm. sloppy, that's not cool. What are we teaching young women about their bodies? You know, so yeah. all day pants is, is what I'm saying. I love it. But like, no, and I, you know, it's made me, I completely agree because why do we all not want to wear jeans again? Like we're all, I'm completely with you. And everyone I know in this lockdown have, have been like females. I've been like, let's embrace the leggings. And I've found it a chore at times when I've gone, oh, I'll put some jeans on it. So it's like, that surely then is a piece of clothing that's not good that we put on. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, it's good. I'm going to feel a bit uncomfortable to, to put these yeah. on and wear them. And again, maybe it's because of like the fashion style of women's jeans are often these tight, um skinny jeans that are like the tighter the better so it sucks you all in and all of that um so whereas I do think and I know we're, we're not we're it might sound generalizing from myself but that men's fashion jeans are just seem a lot more comfortable a lot baggier yeah I think I think there's a real problem in in fashion that we all know is there um which is it's a whole maybe other podcast <laughs> yeah definitely I mean this is cook yeah. forever. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I got totally off track, but my point about changing your social media feed, it makes yeah. a massive impact. If you change who you follow, if you follow different accounts which promote body positivity, you, you wake up and you look at your phone, if you're scrolling and the messages you get are positive about women's health and women's bodies, then like, that's great, right? That's that's yeah. setting you up for the day rather than seeing another picture of somebody holding a, a blended green drink mm. yeah. showing up this this idealized, you know, white thinness. Um, you know, that's just so much better for you. And yeah. in 2020, I think people did make a big push to kind of diversify their feeds in terms of like who they were following in terms of Black Lives Matter activists and things like that. And that's a great thing to do. Um, and also by doing that as well, you, you open up yourself to hearing from people who um, are struggling with, with living in black bodies and in bodies of color in the world. And I don't wanna to speak to their experience, um, obviously, because I am very white, but hearing their stories and hearing their experience just reinforces to me that this is not a me problem. Yeah. This is a structural societal problem. Yeah. This, this is coming at me from all pistons firing from a giant capitalist machine that wants to take my money. Um, and it wants to push down a certain type of person. It wants to push down a certain type of body and it wants to lift up another type of body. And they've got all the money and they've got all the power and they're using all the energy. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I, sound like, I know I sound like one of those mad conspiracy theorist people. No, but, you don't. This is facts, you know, I would say. And there, I think there's something about living in the truth of that. Mm -hmm. So if you are hearing those true voices coming through on the daily, on your feed, in your social media, on your Twitter, then you, you start to take the burden off yourself and yeah. you're like you know what it's not it's not my fault it's not it's not me you know I can have five biscuits yeah that's patriarchy you know <laughs> yeah I'm not gonna let anyone else tell me what I should be feeling what morals to put on or mm -hmm. emotions to put on food and yeah I mean again when you talked about that area it's so enlightening and it's so true like that we've created these um moralistic it's just that they're not they're not living things they're like items of food that fuel our bodies that we've we've given mm. these terms and no I love that because what I would really hope with this with this series is that people can gain tips and and we can share them with each other and I I can't agree more about the social media like I I think 
we are unfortunately what we see is reinforcing stuff in our minds really I mean we all have these moments don't we where you compare yourself to Mm. the next person as how we've been brought up but I think something that helps me is rather than going oh I shouldn't feel like that you know I shouldn't feel like that turning it against yourself and going I shouldn't feel like that I know better than that. I shouldn't do that. I quite like to do this thing where I go, I feel like that. And it's the fucking patriarchy. That's what it is. That's what's doing it. And that sometimes really helps me. So sometimes I'll be having a conversation with my husband. I'll be like, I really want chips, but I feel like I shouldn't get chips. And it's just really hard. It's just the sexist patriarchal bullshit pushing down on me again, making me feel like I don't deserve chips. And actually, I know it sounds like really silly and like overreactive, no. but for me, it really helps to, to when I have those feelings of self-blame and getting annoyed at myself for not being a good enough person in recovery, you know, and not smart enough feminist, but not for feeling oppressed. I, instead of like going, oh, bad woman should know better, should be able to control eating disorder. I go, no, no, their fault, their fault. Yeah. There is Absolutely. an ad exec somewhere whose fault this is. Like when you watch an advert and it makes you feel bad, tell the advert off. Yes, you know? I love that. There, yes. There's, I'm going to name and shame an advert here. There is yeah, yeah. a like, it's like a, a special K bar. It's, it's like a bar. It's like mm. a bar that's got like chocolate on it. It looks quite yummy, but you can tell it's obviously going to taste terrible. Yeah. Um, and it's this woman, she's walking around the shop and everything's gray and sad. And then she looks and she sees this bar and everything lights up. And it's like, finally, a snack you can enjoy without guilt, basically, is the message. Because it's like a low calorie snack. Mm. So rather than being mad at yourself and feeling bad at yourself for not having the low calorie snack or caring about the low calorie snack, be mad at whoever wrote that advert. Because they are perpetuating diet culture to everyone. And if you can't be mad on behalf of yourself, be mad on behalf of somebody younger than you. A little sister, uh, a young girl, like working with kids in schools, that was something that really kind of helped me was like, I can't, sometimes I don't feel like I can be mad on my own behalf. Right. Yeah. 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 Like get to that point where I'm like, you have done this to me because self-blame is a huge part, I think, of what we as women have been trained to do, you know, not been trained to stand up and fight against these things. We've been trained to go, oh, it must be something I did. I wore the skirt that was too short or I didn't eat the right thing or, you know, that kind of thing. But, so it's really hard to get angry on your own behalf, but get angry on behalf of a young person. So if an advert makes you feel bad on Instagram or Twitter, report it. If you can't report it on your own behalf, report it on behalf of a younger person. That's what I often try to do. And I am that horrible. (laughs) I'm that person who, whenever I see a diet advert on Facebook, I immediately report it. And I know that it's not really going to do anything, but it's for me, right? It's me going, I'm not accepting that in my life. I'm not accepting that narrative. And I report them on Twitter as well. And I report them on Instagram. And it does have a bit of an impact because then Facebook and Instagram and Twitter don't send me those things. So I don't have to see them as much. And that's good for my mental health. Um, But it's also good for my mental health to be like, I'm not accepting this narrative. Um, I don't want to accept this narrative for me and I don't want to accept it for anybody else. Um, So if you can't stand up for other, if you can't stand up for you or for the child inside of you that was hurt by this culture, stand up for other children is what I'm saying. I can't say how amazing that that that's made me feel very emotional because I completely relate to that blame thing that we do to ourselves and yeah it is something I definitely personally can say I think has been ingrained as a as a woman in 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 our culture and and it's like yeah just flip just just question it just don't just take your first mm-hmm. that we've been trained to have this this instant reaction oh it's obviously something I've done I mean you can see it all over what the government are doing at the moment not to get too political but it's always like oh you messed up well how about what you guys did like yeah. it's it's yeah. like no it's your neighbor's fault it's this person's fault it's the people around you's fault for not doing this 
it's not nothing to do with the government it's like uh and it's just like this is happening all the time and I mean adverts wouldn't work if they said to you you're actually happy as you are as a baby you're not going oh well what do my legs look like what that wouldn't work so they have to tell you you're not happy <laughs> as you are and it's like questioning that what, what actually that adverts has to do that to sell to me and that's what their purpose is so don't that, that's what's actually happening here. yeah messaging is so important um to be political around last yeah. summer um the government as we all know ran eat out to help out mm. adverts but they also ran these adverts about how obesity if you were obese it meant you were more likely to get covid so everybody should be getting out and exercising mm. at the time um beat which is an eating disorder charity in the uk sent out a letter to the government basically saying this is damaging language for people with eating disorders and they have the statistics to prove it as well because in the time that that after immediately after that advert went out the amount of people calling their hotline worrying about these things increased hugely and we already know that the amount of people struggling with eating disorders increased during lockdown we, we already know that happened last year yeah. and the government deliberately put out this conflicting message. On the one hand, they put out a message which says, please go out and eat to make our society better. It's on you, you know, it's on you to do it. You need to spend your money in the right way so we can get all back on track. But then at the same time, they put out an advert which goes, your body could hurt you if it's the wrong shape. If your body is the wrong shape, you might get COVID and then you might make other people sick. So you need to not do that. You need to yeah. not do that thing. Guilt. What a huge mind fuck. Mm. If you're a person who's susceptible to eating disorders, on the one hand, you're being told that you need to go out and have a meal to save your country. On the other hand, you're being told that if you eat the wrong thing, if you get fat, if you change your body type, if you're obese, you are endangering everyone. Yeah, yeah. They moralized this in the worst possible way. And it was incredibly damaging as a person with an eating disorder i was triggered i put a big post on instagram being like this is the worst thing that yeah. they've done um how can you phrase it like that to people like because yeah. like it is about shame and they've just done that they've just gone and shame people basically exactly and the thing is i think when when you're living your life when you're having a hard time when you're trying to homeschool your kids and you're tired and you've got the laundry on, you're not, you're, you're already feeling on the edge. You don't have the presence of mind necessarily to watch an advert and go, you know what, that's not about me. Actually, that's the government shit messaging. That's not about me. What happens is you watch an advert and something breaks inside of you and you feel so out of control in every area of your life. So then you start maybe restricting your eating, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And you justify it because you're like, well, I haven't been out. I haven't been going to the gym because I've been staying at home with the kids. So it's fine. It makes sense. You know, I'll just, I'll just not have lunch or we, we're already, you know, struggling for money. It, it makes sense if I don't eat as much, you know, that makes sense, you know? And that's the thing that really, really makes me so angry because our culture has, is already, we're, we're all struggling so much, <laughs> you know, yeah. this is so hard. We're already at a breaking point. Yeah. And we all, as women, we've grown up in a culture which has laid all these traps for us over and over and over again, making it hard to love your body and love yourself. And for a person who's watching a TV advert, I'm not saying by any imagination, that people are stupid or not perspective or anything like that. Advertising is designed to do this. Mm. And the idea that the government will put out that kind of advert, you know, this is a government that's meant to protect people, right? Yeah. This is an advertising company who's trying to make money, right? They're, yeah, they're yeah, this is a people. This is yeah. what they're doing. This is, this is an advert supposedly about health. We put out such harmful messaging that has such detrimental effects to people's mental health is beyond negligent it's it's a huge abuse of power yeah. it's a huge abuse of the fact that they have said 
that they are going to keep us safe. They are going to give the informa- us the information that keeps us safe. Absolutely. But like you say, this could be a podcast in itself. And, and I would love to unpick like messaging and help us all like just just to to learn. I think just just question and educate and just never take stuff for face value. And and I think the messaging always being blaming us. It's always you like that with the what with this, this, what the government released, like you are your your mm. body size is the problem it's like working in schools I spoke to someone and they said their child is being weighed in schools mm. now and it's like here's this problem that your kid is this weight so for people who like their kids are, are cooking themselves I completely agree with you it's like I think the big problem the government keep going here's this this and you're the one to blame we're not taking any accountability we're not going to make food take taxes off, mm. off you know this food or we're not going to give money to to help families that are like really struggling financially to to buy something that to give more money towards food it's just here's this problem and it's all your fault like that and and ultimately yeah you're right the fact that we have an eating disorder problem in this country the fact that we have an obesity problem in this country is directly due to the fact that we have a poverty problem like the amount of people using food banks like the idea that as a society, we have just accepted that food banks provide food for a huge proportion of our nation's people is crazy. You know, it's, it's, it's literally crazy. Yeah. And it's important to remember that if you're a family who's getting most of your food from food banks, food bank food, in order to be successful in food bank, needs to be certain types of things. So you're obviously going to receive things which are high carbohydrate, maybe have like high sugar levels in order to keep the preservatives so that the food stays for longer. There's a reason that food banks don't accept fresh vegetables, right? They're going to expire. So if if you're only getting your food from food banks and that's what you're using to feed your children, it's not your fault, is it, that your children are not getting fresh vegetables? And when children are in school, usually they are relying on that school meal, right? They are relying on that school meal that has that fresh vegetable element and that kind of thing. That's what parents are relying on as well. And the whole scandal that started at the beginning of the year with like the school lunches, the quality of food in those school lunches was terrible. Mm. It was terrible. And it's almost like the government were coming at it from this perspective of, well, they can have one bad meal a day. And it's like, no, you misunderstand. This is the one really rounded healthy meal a day you know this is the one so that the others can be what is there what is available you know yeah and you know we talk about children like that but it's important to remember that those parents are living in that situation as well and there's a lot of disorders eating around that because if you are saving all of your food for your kids like what are you eating you know I watched this documentary a while ago about like a mum who basically like her eating disorder was she she wasn't eating very much but the reason she wasn't eating hardly anything that she was having like 12 cups of tea a day with sugar in was because she was saving all of her food for a kid right you know and eating disorders weight disorders body disorders it is all linked to how our society is structured. And something that has helped me as a person living in my body is calling it out when I see it. And the practice of calling it out when I see it helps me keep doing it. So it's almost like a habit. So once you start going, actually, is that messaging bullshit? Like, (laughs) am I being fed bullshit here to make me feel bad? Once you start doing that, it it makes it feel better and it and then that translates into those times when you're like I ate five biscuits okay that's fine yeah. I don't that's fit fine. my jeans anymore that's fine didn't like them very much anyway I'm a bit heavier than I was okay I'm a bit heavier than I was I've had a terrible eating disorder day today okay I've had a terrible day today society is hard it's pushing down on me it's making it really difficult to live body positively so I'm not going to feel guilty about that. I'm just going to try better the next day. So it makes recovery bearable, like more easier if you are allowing yourself to see the 
the man behind the curtain, essentially. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. I, I can't even tell you the joy it's been to speak to you and to, to talk about all of this, that all these areas that I just think, I honestly could could have like another five conversations with you about this or six. Um, <laughs> but great. I can talk about it like all day and all night. It's like my my capacity for discussing this is is endless. And I think the reason that it's endless is because I grew up in a certain way, and I didn't have somebody saying this stuff to me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. When it when it mattered when it was needed I didn't have anybody in school saying saying these things um so now I'm like I'm gonna say the things and oftentimes I think I feel like it's not necessarily just teaching myself but it's also teaching the people around me like because I think the the hardest truth to grasp for me is that it never it never pays off diet culture, yeah. right? The promise of an eating disorder, the promise of diet culture is that if you get your body to look or feel a certain way, then all of this will go away. You'll be accepted. You'll be fine. You'll be happy. It's, it's such a lie, right? My nan is um, in her 90s. Mm-hmm. And every time she sees me, she comments on my body usually to compliment me saying you're looking so thin you're looking so well and but the way she talks about her body she's so hard on it right she 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 doesn't she doesn't love her body she she's never loved her body in all the time I've known her and so there's no payoff right she's been living in this diet culture for over 90 years no matter, and her body has been all shapes and all sizes. It's even fit that typical white woman form. Yeah. It hasn't paid off. Her body has changed. The thing in her mind has not. And, and that's the hard thing, but that's the thing that kind of motivates me a bit because I'm like, I don't want to be 90 and just looking back on life and going, I've hated my body every day that I've lived in it. And I've blamed myself every day for my body. Why? Why have I done this? I want to be free of it. I want my mom to be free of it. I want my sisters to be free of it. I want my friends to be free of it. I want women to be free of it. And I know that the only way is for us to challenge it. And to fight, push back against it because the big capitalist machine only changes if it stops making money, you know, unless we completely disrupt society, which I'm not advocating. I don't want to put the advert the government put out. Yeah, let's let's go go all uprise. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. You know, the only way we can do this is if we change, stop making money, you know, like, wasn't it uh, when women in Sweden... I feel like I'm going to mess this up, but like, uh, oh no, I, yeah, I, yeah, we can look it up, but tell us, tell us what, yeah, yeah, women in Sweden, when they wanted like, um, more equal pay or paid maternity or something like that, all of the women in the country just didn't go for work for a day and they got it. Yeah. Sweden always, why are they always so far ahead? It might've been Denmark, but do check. <laughs> check all good. Um, but the point is that the truth I feel is that women's voices are not valued unless there is like a monetary attachment to it yeah um and so the one of the only ways the only ways forward are education so changing the way that our young society responds to women's voices and creating an affront to capitalism so that we change the way that we we buy and we consume. So if we say no to things which promote diet culture and say yes to things that promote positivity, both in our money and in how we respond to advertising, then hopefully we'll see a change. But yeah, yeah. the most important change has to be in in you, like right? It has to be in how you feel your feeling yourself, so that you don't get 
to be 90 and look around at the world and go, I've lived under the burden of this sexist, racist, capitalist, horrifying machine which has oppressed my body all of this time and it hasn't made me any happier and I haven't had any reward. Like the reward promise never comes. Yeah, yeah, no, thank you. That's just, it's filled me with like passion and I want to thank you for bringing up the advert over summer because I hope that if anyone's listening and it did trigger or made them feel any anxiety or anything that, that, that maybe they also can reach out to these helplines we're going to put like hopefully uh, we are going to put helpline numbers at the end of each of each yeah. interview yeah um i mean i don't know if there's any specific helpline you, you, you um think of. beat is beat is really good so yeah. eat eating disorders mind are really really helpful yeah um and yeah i think also following like body positive people on twitter and instagram is really great um, I thought of another one who's really great is uh, Rain Dove is a um, non-binary model and they have a really body positive, um, really wonderful Instagram account, which is not only um, promoting body positivity in amazing ways, but they also sort of promote uh, amazing political content, which really engages with how people are feeling in this current political crisis around the world and how that's making them feel in their bodies, um, safe or unsafe, things like that. Um, so yeah, all of the people on Instagram, change your Instagram feed is my, my takeaway. Thank you so much for listening. If you are struggling at the moment or do feel impacted by any of the issues discussed, please do see support resources and links on the Wait Stories page on herproductions.co.uk. See you next time.